0: Today was one of those days that you learn about a brand that you know is going to win. Um, Amy was awesome and p is gonna rock it. Um, During the episode, we talked about the process that p went through to navigate the pandemic, what Amy has learned about managing a company through hypergrowth, how p has embraced their trainers as influencers for the brand. Um, It's a good one, guys. Remember, if you like the show, be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. Also, if you have any dream guests, tell us who they are, and we'll do our best to go and get them. Thanks, everyone. Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to Earned, everybody. Today, we are going to learn from the head of marketing at one of the top startups to work, up, work for in the world, as well as one of the fastest growing home fitness brands. Uh, welcome to the show, Amy.
1: Hi, it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And, uh, you know, just to give a little bit of background so people have context on how impressive what you have accomplished at p is, Um, You guys have grown, at least from what was published. Revenue is up 154% in 2020. You were listed as a top 50 startup by LinkedIn. And there were some big names on that list. Um, And then you guys were one of the earliest movers in the kind of virtual hybrid home in-person workout. Um, You did it before it was cool. So super impressive there. And then you were in nonprofit sector for seven years in executive roles and, you know, on the executive side from both an agency and a marketing perspective on the pharmaceutical side. So really excited to learn from you today. I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I'm
1: excited to dive in. I can't wait.
0: Well, let's start with that growth, right? So that's a lot of growth in a single year. And obviously, you know, we all saw the surge in the public markets for companies like Peloton and otherwise. Um, Now, obviously, things have slowed down a little bit. You can't maintain that forever, at least for Peloton specifically. So um, talk to me about kind of what it was like during that time and then how things have changed since then. Um, Would love to hear about that, that period for you. It's just such a fascinating topic for me.
1: Yeah. And the the number you mentioned was, uh, you know, by August of 2020, since then, you know, year to date, we've experienced 100% growth in our subscribers um, as well. Yeah. So revenue and subscribers. So it's really exciting to kind of stay on that trajectory. Um, You know, double growth is is all you can kind of, um, you know, aim for. And, you know, the pandemic was such an a uh, an amazingly scary time for so many people but like you said we were already in that home fitness space we're a hybrid model yeah right yep. so we were we were built to be really really nimble which is um you know fortunate because we we had to make a a very mission-driven decision of the world was in complete turmoil. And of course we have a business to run, but we also felt an obligation to people that we knew were struggling at home to help them move, you know? So we quickly, um, pivoted, you know, kind of our entire business model. The, the four of us, um, our kind of founding business executive team was actually out in Los Angeles when, the real kind of pandemic shutdown started. Yeah. So we raced to the LA airport, flew back into different cities, you know, so we were all on this like four hour flight. And during those four hours through the power of the internet, you know, on the airplane, we pivoted our entire strategy um, because we knew what was coming. So within, you know, a couple days of, of everything shutting down, we had changed our trial from a 14 day free trial to a 30 day free trial. We launched live virtual studios and we immediately sent all equipment to our trainers at home and started free Instagram live workouts, you know, at a minimum three times a day. Um, so oh, wow. it was a massive change and because we were a startup, we were super nimble. So, you know, yeah. when you, when you kind of saw us go to market, it was within 48 hours that our business had changed.
0: That's, uh, pretty quick. That's lot faster than we did. I think we were, we pivoted within 45 days, not quite 45, yeah. you know, 48 <laughs> hours, but, um, no, that's super cool. And, you know, obviously I would imagine that you know the trainers appreciate it because it was an opportunity for them to stay involved and continue to contribute and um, actually one of the things this is supposed to be a little bit later on but one of the things that's interesting about those trainers is I've noticed that you know a lot of the trainers for like Peloton are starting to become influencers and celebrities in and of themselves is that something that you guys are seeing with your trainers where like now because the platform of pvolve is growing you know, it's it's helping them build their own uh, reputation and book a business and all those kinds of things.
1: Absolutely, I mean, for us, our trainers are everything, right? You have to go through massive amounts of training. So our, you know, Pevolve is grounded in functional training, functional movement. You know, and so what What that means to the average person is we're meant to create stronger stability, mobility, and performance. So everything, we're resistance-based, you're gonna get a, an intense workout, but you're not gonna hurt yourself. Um, and mm-hmm. everything that PVolve is designed to do is to make your everyday life better. So, from posture, standing, sitting, picking up your child, working at a desk, that's the power of functional movement, is working with your body to allow it to perform at its best level. So, because of that, our trainers go through massive amounts of training over 100 hours, different certifications, and we also Have a clinical advisory board where we have a doctor of physical therapy and physiology and OBGYN there that is co creating our content with our trainers. So our trainers are influencers in themselves, but I think out of just being, and, and I'm not downplaying any, you know, fitness influencer out there, but outside of just being this great, you know, motivational kind of speaker in a true influencer sense, they're educators and they're changing people's lives. And I think that they're becoming influencers more from our customers saying, like, you know, uh, I, I made it through my postpartum journey because of, you know, Maeve, a P-Volv trainer who helped me strengthen my pelvic floor, which changed my entire life, you know? So when we think about influencers and our trainers, we, we definitely think they're getting that level of visibility, but they're getting it more because they're educating um, than, than just being a dynamic personality, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's one of the bigger misconceptions about that word, right? I kind of use it fairly loosely, but if you were to look at the people that actually get to prominence... Um, Generally, now, of course, there are the people that are celebrities because they're celebrities, right? But generally what you find is people get to that level of recognition because of their expertise on a particular topic, right? Whether it's them being like an expert in, you know, makeup artistry or in, you know, fitness or in, you know, fashion, which, you know, is is a technical skill, I think, in some ways. Um, so yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's just so cool to think about that as being, you know, a platform for empowering these individuals who are experts in their field. It's super cool. Absolutely. Uh, and separately, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about p and I'm sure you guys are thinking about this too, but you know, the, that kind of, um, that injury angle is a super interesting one. Yeah. Um, and. And where it connects for me is I actually started, um, you know, so I had growing up, um, I played football and had, you know, tore up my body, including my yeah. knees very specifically. So I had an ACL cadaver graft to my left, meniscus Oof. in my left and my right. So three surgeries, right? And so, you know, of course, my knees don't feel great now that I'm in my mid- mid-30s and... Um, and like, oh, my uh, uh wife's mother was like, oh, you need to get hokas, right? Like hokas are great. You know, they're specifically designed for people that have, you know, potential injuries or knee injuries or whatever. And um, so as I was looking at P obviously it's it's targeted, I think, generally towards, you know, towards women. But I think that there's just such a broad applicability to this like do training that isn't going to put additional pressure on your body or that is gonna be Better for people that have had historical injuries. I just think it's such a cool concept and not not something that other people really push generally. I feel
1: A hundred percent. Um, you know, I mean you you absolutely nailed that and I didn't send any of that to you. It's kind of incredible (laughs) um, You know, so when you think about Our market fit and where we are, right? So there is a massive market of people who are looking for let's just say Cardio fitness. I know that um, on average that's that gets like 160 million searches right which is which is wow. pretty big yeah. um, and you yeah. think about that that that's pretty traditional fitness. when you look at how many people are searching for ways to live with or deal with pain, it's over 1.1 billion.
0: Okay, so, there you, go. you know,
1: when we brought our methodology to market and, you know, we were lean, we're, we're still, I'm, I'm a lean marketer by trade. So, you know, when we launched, we were really focused on listening to our customers because we're kind of your, your cake and eat it too. You are gonna absolutely see body transformation with Pvolve, which is wonderful. But what we can promise is that you are also not going to get hurt right and instead of breaking your body down we are teaching you how to strengthen your body and making it at the best performance level possible so where where our market fit is people who are let down or don't find a space in traditional vanity fitness if that makes any sense that means you you are going to see the results if you want to you know you want stronger abs with us you want a, a lift lifted butt with us you're going to get that but you're <laughs> also going to get you know um, a stronger lower back a stronger core that you know so many people that were that are training with our on-demand platform are dealing with lower back pain. We're in a lower back uh, pain study right now with the University of Minnesota. Um, yeah. So we're, we're really proud of that. We know that fitness is a very saturated category in the vanity driven aspect. Um, and we yep. believe that we're coming to market and, and are serving um, a massive gap that is almost unmeasurable of people that are dealing either with a previous injury like you or a more educated consumer that is growing up now who has seen what their parents have gone through and are doing their best to never go into rehab. We call that prehab, yep. right? And those are those are very smart, educated consumers who do not want to have knee or hip surgery in their forties, fifties or sixties.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Um unfortunately I really loved running for a minute and my knees are like, Yeah, that's not gonna be an option, right? Yeah. So Um, Well, let's take a step back just in terms of your career, right? So I think part of the goal of this podcast is to understand what's happening in your company. And part of it's for people that, you know, want to be in your role eventually, right? Like to see the path that you took there. So early in your career, you kind of spent your time moving up the ladder in the agency and kind of on the marketing side for pharmaceutical industry. Um, What were some of the lessons that you drew from that period in life? Like what were some of the things that you think... Um, you're like, yeah, I really took that lesson with me and, and have been able to apply it today.
1: I think I was exceptionally lucky when I was in the agency world, right? So I graduated with um, a communications and journalism background. So went right into international PR, uh, public yep. relations, and in Chicago, um, and was kind of bouncing around. And at the time, Leo Burnett, you know, one of the largest advertising agencies at the time, was kind of really ahead of this integrated approach. And they were they were going yeah. around secretly and kind of plucking people out of PR firms and dropping them really? in the middle of the advertising space. And I was one of them. And it was really early in my career. I think I was two years out of college. And that's when I really started to see, okay, You know, the industry right now looks at PR over here and marketing and advertising over here because this was before social even came to market. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is a, there's a, there's an approach where we're going to from an agency perspective, get more client work if we come in with an integrated approach. And that was really Mm -hmm. my first entree into marketing and I loved it. And from there I went to Euro RSCG, Um, but I always kind of pinged back and forth in the agency world between marketing and advertising firms and PR firms because I loved them both. And I saw the power of them both. And and Burnett was really the only one that was like trying to make them work together. So if you see my like LinkedIn resume, it's like, okay, she's at a PR firm, then she's at an advertising firm, then she's back at a PR firm, and she's at an advertising firm because it was something in there clicked that I wanted to do both. Um, and I saw the power of engagement and having really PR and communication being coupled with marketing, you know, and, and this was before performance marketing, this was before social. And so, uh, when I look back at that, you know, I, I kept getting poached at different firms and you know, a lot of people would tell you don't jump, don't be such a jumper. And if you watch yeah. my LinkedIn, I went every two years, every time I got poached, I went when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't regret any of that because I got to see so many different clients and, and work inside so many different industry sectors that it really allowed me to become very well-rounded. So the, you know, I, I, I'm an Ohio University grad and I, I speak there a lot. And what I always tell people is if you're starting off in the, in the agency realm, like that's going to be your track, jump, jump.
0: Yeah. Because that's, yeah.
1: first of all, that's how you're going to make money in agency, um, especially sure. early on. And and you really want that breadth of clients and to see where you felt, you know, where your passion is and where you start to excel. And, and mine was, you know, um, early on was in healthcare, which was great. Um, so I was working at Fleischman Hilliard and Tap Pharmaceuticals was my largest client. And you know they came knocking one day and said, "Look, we could just continue to pay your agency, or we could just hire you." And yeah, that's you know, pretty cool. Yeah, it was super cool. It was it was terrifying because you know as an agency person, you you think of going to the client side as the dark side, you know, and and <laughs> I was I was super worried about that. Um, and I was very young, and I went in house to um, a, a phenomenal, like you know, four billion dollar pharmaceutical company at the time. And my immediate boss, about six months after I was there, uh, left the company. Mm. And there was this huge spot for the head of public affairs, which entailed all of communications, crisis com, um, you know, governance, and then also working hand in hand with marketing on all of the the claims and, and everything like that. and you know, they came to me and said, we're gonna do this big international search. Don't worry, we're gonna get somebody in here. And I said, you gotta give me a shot. I know I'm young, but I can do this. Um, and I, I would say the biggest learning I had from that is is they kind of laughed, right? I think it was 27. And the yeah. the youngest person on the pharmaceutical executive team at that point was I think like 46. And they were like, Amy, that that's nuts. And I'm like, well, let me do the job. With this title yeah. and this pay for six months. And at the end of six months, if you want to hire somebody over me, go ahead. And I think it was four months and they gave me the the full-time job, which was amazing.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, that is a scenario that a lot of people find themselves in, right? Where it's like, hey, you know, we know that I know that when I was at um, my first company, right? I was young as well. I was like 23 or so. Yeah. And I was like the number one salesperson. I was training everybody, teaching everybody, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, they wanted to hire somebody to like manage the team. And it was like, guys, like, why, why wouldn't it be me? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And they ended up hiring somebody above me. And I was like, mm, you know, like time to go. Right. Yep, I'm gonna and I think so. that's how you, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's how you lose a lot of really good people. Um, but I it agree. Is, it, there's, there's definitely a balance, right? Cause I think, We, when we first started our company, I think leaned into that a little too much. And then we put people in a position where they just weren't like, we just had too many, we just didn't have enough experience, frankly. Well, and I I think
1: when I look back, what I didn't know at the time, Connor, is the smartest thing I did was say six months, right? Because I had to learn what that role entailed. Um, and I, I mean, it was like, I was back in college, like, you know, starting at six o'clock at night, I would have textbooks up learning about the disease states that we were serving and everything. You know, I, I worked tirelessly to get that job to your Mm -hmm. point. It's not, it's not like I would ever give anybody the advice of, oh my God, go for a vice president role at 22, you know, but hindsight's 2020, 20, but the best thing I did was make it that six month marker. Um, I wasn't like, I want this job now where I'm leaving because I knew I was young and inexperienced, yep, yep, um, but I yep. worked hard and I got there and, and that was really, you know, becoming that level, um, of an executive at a young age was really, um, a, a platform for me that, that, that sparked everything that I am today. It opened so many doors for me because here I was an executive member at a a billion dollar global, uh, pharmaceutical company. So when we decided to move back to Ohio for family reasons, it really opened the door to, to give me opportunities that I don't think I would have had if I hadn't really secured that executive level position.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a big, um, it's a big thing, right? Like I think people underestimate it, but. What tends to happen is if you can get accelerated fairly early in your career, then people look at you like, oh, wow, like they're ahead of where they should be. Like they must be doing really well. Right. And I think that that kind of rolls downhill pretty quickly. Obviously, you know, you can I think the famous one is like Colonel Sanders started KFC when he was like 50 years old. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, you can start whenever you want, but it is definitely an advantage uh, early on if you can get it. Yeah. Um, so then you kind of jumped to the nonprofit sector, which, you know, um, which was a mix, right? I, you know, you're at a VC, which technically is a nonprofit, but was, you know, investing. Well, it it was, Um, yeah,
1: it was, that truly did not feel like a a nonprofit, but yes.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't look like a nonprofit (laughs) either, but, um, but yeah, tell me about that period kind of, you know, leading up to Pvolve.
1: So when I came back to Ohio, um, I did some international consulting again, and just realized, look, the reason I came back to Ohio was family. And if I was just gonna be a road warrior and continue to be traveling all over the country, there was no point in leaving Chicago. And uh, so I, you know, through the consulting firms that I was doing in Cleveland, um, I was going to be put on a board of one of the largest nonprofits in the in the city, which is the at the time the Centers for Families and Children, and they were going through a three way merger that was going to position them as one of the largest nonprofits in the state. And wow. I became kind of close to the CEO. She came to me and said, look, I, I need a, a business person. I need somebody to come in to help me manage this merger, re, rebrand the entire organization, um, which ended up being 17 different locations. And I mean, it was massive. And I had never been a part of nonprofit, but I was also new back to Ohio and Cleveland. And I was like, well, this is probably a really good way to get embedded in the community um, because this is where we're going to live probably for most of my life. So I took that job on. That was about a three year project from end to end. Uh, you know, we worked alongside with KPMG for the MA and and I have a lot of M&A background. And it was actually one of the most challenging projects I've ever done because nonprofit don't they don't have budgets, so it's not like I had yeah. a team. I was a one-person show that was doing the comms, the marketing, the branding, all of the training, um, you know, and all of the M and A communication as well. Um, so it was it was kind of like going from this really high level executive position down to the ground floor and kind of relearning the execution side all over again which I loved and that was right around the time that that jumpstart reached out which is you know the venture firm in Cleveland and when I was thinking about my career arc I mean it was it was very intentional right I had done the agency life. I had gone in house to a four billion dollar pharmaceutical. I had then done strategic nonprofit, you know, work. And I was like, "What's left for me and where I want to go is venture, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I eventually want to get equity, be a part of the startup world, um, you know, potentially create generational wealth. This is this is the way to do it instead of just jumping into startup." So I went in on the venture side, was the head of marketing and a senior partner there, um, which meant that I did everything from weighing into the investments that we were, we were going to make when there was a heavy you know, marketing component to advising some of um, those companies from a marketing perspective, and then also the head of marketing for Jumpstart, um, which was amazing. It, w- it was probably to date the best job I've ever had, just from like a learning standpoint. I learned so mm-hmm. much about... You know, equity, venture capital, you know, the startup world. And so then I left and went to one of the startups that we invested in in FinTech. And that was my first, uh, entry into startup. Um, gotcha. Okay, but, uh, but not to complicate things, at that time I was also helping start PVOLV. So I'm one of uh, the first, I'm one of the four founding business executives that helped start it from a consulting level. Um so I had that going on because when you're in a venture capital firm, there's no non-competes. they they want you to eventually go into the into the startup world. Um mm-hmm. so I kind of had my hands in both. Um was a part of this FinTech startup that was almost like a, a Venmo competitor, uh, was in Portugal all the time. That's where our entire dev team was. and oh, wow. And just kind of slowly was watching people out of the corner of my eye, something that like I was a part of from the beginning that I loved. And I was like, no way, man, I got to go back there. That's where I belong. And I went back in um, 2018 full time. So I was there from the beginning of 2017, from a consulting standpoint, and then became a full-time team member in, in 2018 as the head of marketing.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I have some questions for you about kind of offshore dev teams, just cause we haven't done it, yeah. I, I there are some challenges, <laughs> it's tough. um, but, but they're, you know, three to one, uh, three to one ratio, um, Look, in terms financially. Of just price, right?
1: financially a hundred percent all the way. It makes sense. Um, yeah. you know, having your right head of products, you know, with you in your office and your product managers, I think is the most important component of that. Um, you know, the, they have to be with you. In my opinion, that's what makes the offshore work if you have a a lead product and product in your product managers are, are offshore, um, you can, you can lose touch with everything very quickly.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That had to have helped too. I mean, you know, although Peevolve obviously is kind of fitness focused, there's a big tech aspect to it, right. In terms of just the way that you deliver the information, the content, et cetera. So had to have helped there. I mean, in terms of Peevolve specifically, it seems like just kind of looking at your background, that this really kind of embodied a lot of the values that you think are important, because I mean, you did the nonprofit stint, but I think you had like five or six nonprofits that you're working with, you know, on your LinkedIn specifically. Um, yeah. Is that Just what from a motivated you? Or
1: standpoint? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, look, healthcare caught my eye early. You know, in my career, I yeah, obviously was yeah. at pharmaceutical. It was, you yeah. know. Uh, I would be crazy if I said I, I didn't see the opportunity that I believed I knew at in my twenties that healthcare was the sector that was gonna continue to grow astronomically. So I've yep. always wanted to stay in healthcare. Um when I met our co-founder Rachel Katzman, um, who you know was really pivotal in, in bringing this company to market, she changed my entire perception on like what fitness was. You know, so she uh, mm. she was a young girl uh, looking for a methodology that was going to work for her. Tried every spin class, every workout in in New York, but uh, was diagnosed with scoliosis and was dealing mm. with intense pain and then was introduced to functional fitness and functional movement and really understanding her body and what it was telling her. And that changed her whole trajectory of life. She no longer lives with pain. And so when she was starting to tell me that I realized I had pain, we all have pain, you have pain Connor, right? And we just don't always identify that we have forms of pain or chronic pain. And, you know, I didn't realize how much I was breaking my body down and what I was doing. So she was really pivotal in making me understand how important it should be for me, but then also you know, being able to see what that meant for market opportunity, it was it was massive. And if you know her, you know she's gonna be a part of a billion dollar brand. And I wanted to be on that rocket ship with her.
0: Yeah, it's really um, wild to think about how ambitious that launch plan is, um, you know, doing any one of the three, proprietary equipment, virtual, like, you know, whatever, virtual programs, global programs, and studio space are each individually a business, right? So like you're launching three businesses simultaneously and you have to make sure that they're all in harmony, which is not, not easy to do either. So that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you were the one that had to figure that out or your team was the one (laughs) that had to figure that out. It was not, I'm glad that's not my business. That sounds really hard. I mean, I think
1: it comes from, you know, it came from an exceptionally ambitious co-founder, who knew yep. I think Rachel always knew the power of this methodology and she was like look we can go at a snail's pace or we can go and then you know she had a, a few of us as consultants that had launched businesses before worked with companies you know our president was um, Julie Carr carwright is is was from Lionsgate and had managed that fitness portfolio so you know I had worked with VCs and saw how they scaled so how the startup scaled so I think we kind of all came in and, and knew that this was the right way to go. It could kill us in our first year, uh, <laughs> but this was, this was the right way to go.
0: So, you know, last question, and then we'll get into a couple fun kind of end of show questions. Oh boy. So, you know, obviously this wouldn't be a podcast from Tribe if we didn't talk about influencers. So, yeah. you know, what has been your approach uh, to working with influencers more recently? Like, and again, what have you found that works and doesn't work? Would love to hear about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, influencers have been a part of our company since day one, to be honest. Our Mm -hmm. co-founder, you know, that brought our method um, through, Stephen Pastorino, he had been working with uh, models from from the very beginning. His, you know, he kind of caught his break training Victoria's Secret models early on and that kind of word of mouth spread really kind of helped launch us in New York, hands down. The, the power of that was amazing. So, you know, we've always had an influencer side to us where we have gone over the years is we refuse to work with any type of influencer, um, that is not a believer in our methodology right so what we do not do is we do not randomly pay people to just say that they were doing Mm pvolve and we've Mm -hmm. gotten better and we've gotten stronger (laughs) you know you can try yes this is you know this is your space so you know what this (laughs) means but but we are a mission-driven company, right? And we we believe we are going to change the fitness industry, turn it on its head for exactly what we've talked about for this past hour, you know, about understanding your body, knowing your body, and, and being able to make it stronger and make pain less of a, of an obstacle in people's lives. And if we just paid... Young, beautiful models to say that they did P-volve, um, thats going to backfire in a major way. So yeah. we believe in building relationships. Um, our influencer marketing team is is top notch, and you know they have to do private trainings. We have to talk to them. They have to be able to speak and understand about our brands. And we have relationships with our influencers. These are not people that it's just transactional. Um, they they are in our studios in LA. And in New York, um, they're reaching out to us when they're launching companies because we, we're we're supporters because they are they believe in our methodology. So we're really proud of that. You know, we've worked with some massive names. You know, Naomi Campbell did a uh, a spot with us on on Instagram Live during the pandemic. We've trained with you know Kate Bosworth, um, you know the Iskra Lawrence's of the world. You know, it, it's we've. We've been really, I think, particular in who we want to work with. We want to work with people that are positive um, influencers in the world that, you know, we have to look at what their platform speaks to as well. So, yeah, you could have, you know, 15 million followers, but you could have a message that's not great, that doesn't align with what we want, and we're not going to go there. Um, and we're proud of that. We've we've walked away from a lot of major names and major opportunities that could have probably spiked our growth at three times the rate. And we just collectively said, we're not gonna do it. Um, yeah. So we're proud of that. We're really proud of
0: that. It's definitely the approach that we've seen work consistently over time. So I think that you can have kind of short-term spikes here and there. But I think the only way that you build significant long-term value from um, from people is when they are active supporters of the brand and they do authentically believe in the mission. and And they're going to be supportive of that mission for a really long time, not just because they got paid to post about some new campaign you're launching next month. So Absolutely. love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's do a couple fun end of show questions. Oh, so first, goodness. um, you're a, you're a big fan of podcasts. Give yeah. me your top three podcasts that you think people should listen to, or you can do top one, your call.
1: Oh, that's so tough because I'm kind of like, I listen to a ton of podcasts. So do you, <laughs> um, so I'm trying to think, I would say my top three. Uh, so I'm a big pivot fan. I don't know okay. if you've ever heard okay.
0: of Pivot with yeah, Kara, it Swisher. Kara Swisher yep. yeah,
1: and Scott Galloway. Um, I'm a huge fan of that. I'm uh, a big daily, the New York Times daily. I listen yep. to that yep. every morning as I'm like waking up just to kind of have a sense of what's going on in the world. Uh, Armchair Expert with Zach Shepard. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a classic. Really, really, really high up there for me. Uh, I love CMO Moves. Um, okay. I like kind of popping in and out of that one a little bit, um, and then the rest of mine are like, <laughs> I'm a crew, I'm a true crime junkie, so I listen ah. to
0: like
1: I listen to all the true crime ones, like when Dirty John came out, and you know yep. all of that. Like I was just all over those, but yeah, I would say my like pivot is, is massive pivot. You know, has that intersection of of marketing, of technology, of regulation, of all of that. It, it really helps me kind of stay ahead of even like the data and privacy issues that we're facing with Facebook and iOS 14.5 right now. You know, I I learned a lot of that way before it started becoming news because of that podcast. Um, yep. same with Sway, which is Kara Swisher's other podcast. that I'm a big fan of, you know, she kind of goes deep into tech and asking the really, really hard questions there, um, of tech founders, you know, so from Elon Musk to, you know, to what's going on at Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all of that. And, um, so those really kind of helped me stay ahead of, of the market.
0: Yeah, no, those are great. I'm trying to remember, I got into one. It was really interesting. I'm on the small town murder side, it's like I think it's called like small town murder or something. Have you heard about this one? No. Are you, have you heard of Shit Town?
1: Is that what you're referring to? Oh,
0: I've listened to Shit Town for sure. That one's a great one uh, from because uh, <laughs> well, small town right? Gimlet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now this one it's um it's gotten a really big audience and basically what it does I can't remember the name of it I wish I could remember people are gonna be upset but it's gotten this really cult following and basically what they do is they find real murders that happen and like they typically happen in very small towns and then they just dive into it like really really deeply yeah. and um, yeah it's built build a huge cult following I got into that for a minute but I'm not a We're huge a I like Co-
1: Sorry, I mean, a couple years ago, I was like a diehard, uh, my favorite murder fan. Yes. And then I kind of listened to so many of them. I was absolutely convinced somebody was going to like murder me walking down the street. And I had to kind of take a step back. <laughs>
0: so, you have to be careful years. with what you consume. You have to be you careful do. with what you consume. It impacts like, I remember going into, um, an election cycle, like the Trump, elect, the first Trump election cycle. It was just so, or maybe it was the last one. It was just so, like I had so much negativity on Twitter and it was just like affecting my day-to-day life. I was like, I can't be on Twitter anymore because I'm just so angry all the time. And so. I took a step uh, back
1: from Twitter. I I took a big step back from Twitter. I really haven't re-engaged in it in a while, which like here and there maybe a little bit. And I was very active on Twitter. I've, you know, it's probably the most, was the most engaged I was for the past 10 years, but I did the same thing. I think a lot of the world did.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um okay, last one. So if I were to take if I were to sign up for Pvolve, what should be the first first class and maybe even the first instructor I should try out?
1: Oh, that is tough. Okay, so I would tell you if you are a new cuz I love all of our workouts, but if you're okay. new to Pvolve, the number one thing you should do is a live virtual class right okay. and and here's okay. where i think we're pretty amazing as an organization because we believe that especially with where we ended up with the pandemic you know we know that there were there were gym rats out there right that were really struggling they, they weren't just somebody that couldn't find a space to work out in their home. They were people that were motivated by community members and by that mm. almost kind of gamification, competitive nature of like being in a studio and you gotta show up for somebody you say you're gonna show up for. So we launched our live virtual and then we also included that into our monthly subscription cost, right? So mm-hmm. that used to be like $160. And now you get for 19.99 a month with us. You can stream online, demand anytime, anywhere you want, but you can also take unlimited live virtual classes. And I think starting with a live virtual class is amazing because they can they can actually give you some pointers in there if you're willing to have your camera on, which you don't have to. But our methodology is not intuitive. We're we're kind of the antithesis of of traditional vanity workouts so it it takes a minute to understand our methodology and how your body should be feeling and and doing it so i would tell you to go into our live virtual class okay and our trainer like that's the hardest question for me because i'm obsessed with every (laughs) single trainer we have (laughs) yes i'm obsessed with our trainers but i would tell you for you connor you're out you're out in la um i would tell you danny coleman Um, jump into one of her live virtual or go to the the studio and take it with her and I think you'll be blown away.
0: There you go. Awesome. Thanks so much, Amy. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot today and super impressive what you guys have accomplished. Excited to watch you guys continue to grow and uh, yeah, thanks for taking out the time.
1: No, thank you. It was great.
0: Awesome. All right. Bye, Amy.
1: Bye. Hit subscribe
0: now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best
1: influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media.
0: Get started with a demo today at TribeDynamics.com. TribeDynamics.com